0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians. We are in a series right now, going through the book of Philippians, verse by verse. Um, Philippians is a, a letter of the Bible written by Paul to a church in the city of Philippi. And what makes this letter so special is that Paul is writing this letter while he's in prison. He is in a first century, dank, dark Roman dungeon, chained up between two guards, and writing this letter, and in the midst of this horrible situation, we would think this, this really dire circumstance he's in, he writes this letter that is just filled with relentless joy. And so in this series, we're looking through this, we're trying to see where is his mind at, because this is such a healthy place to be. I mean, if this guy can keep this kind of optimism, this kind of passion and excitement about what God is doing in his life and in other people's life. Uh, in these circumstances, then whatever we go through, we're going to be all right, right? We got it made. We are going to be able to discover how to walk in amazing joy. So that's what we're trying to do here. Today, we're finishing up uh, chapter two. Next Sunday, we are... Going to be going to chapter 3. We're going to be starting on some of my very, very favorite parts of Philippians. Uh, it was all I could do uh, not to just jump straight there because I love the, the first few verses of chapter 3 so much. Uh, but we're going to do things in order and start with. We started with chapter 1 uh, because I'm not a crazy person, so we're going to do it the right way. That's the way we did it. All right. Now we're in chapter 2 today. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be if you want to go ahead and get ahead there, we're going to be going to verse 12. Last week, just to kind of put, to remind you and to put this in context, last week we did the first 11 verses of chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was talking about the nature of Jesus and as an example for us, his nature. And while Paul writes... Uh, some incredibly rich language about the nature of God, the nature of Jesus. He gives these really profound ideas about the nature of Christ. He also calls us to model our lives after Jesus, because that's where we want to land the plane. We want to make sure we're landing the plane in the right place, not just to study theology and kind of study the nature of Jesus, but ultimately we want to learn how to pattern our lives and our mindset after this life that he intends us to live, Paul's very clear on that. Uh, he's going to continue kind of the same thing today. He's going to give us some really rich theology, but he, but as as always with him, application is everything for Paul. Okay, so today's uh, today's message kind of you can think of it in three acts. All right, three three different little acts here. So we're going to start with Act One here in verse twelve. He says, "Therefore, therefore, and wherever you see therefore, that means." You're going to learn whatever he just got done talking about. He's going to tell you what it was there for. All right, that's kind of what that word means. In light of what I've just been saying about this amazing Jesus, our example, who who emptied himself and humbled himself as a servant for our sakes. Therefore, my dear friends—literally, that word, dear friends—is is my beloved. Again, he's he's coming to them as peers. He's not coming to them like, oh, I'm high and mighty, and you're down there. He's coming to them as peers. You're my beloved. Um, It's so obvious his love for this church. Therefore, my dear friends, my dearly beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul, he gives them props for having obeyed. They're, they're, doing, they're following his instructions. Even after he's left, he's not there physically anymore. And then he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how about you? That phrase can sound a little intimidating, right? <laughs> right? Fear and trembling. We, we obsess on the fear and trembling, Part there. So what is Paul saying? Am I to read this and think, well, I, maybe I need to freak out and panic more. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm just way too secure and at peace with my salvation. You know, I need, to, I need to get a lot more scared or something like this. Is that what he's telling us? I don't think so, because I think that would contradict many of his other exhortations that he gives us, to have peace of mind, to have courage, to have confidence, Okay. This phrase, fear and trembling, it's interesting. It's these two words, phobos, where we get phobia, you know, like you're afraid of spiders or clowns or something like that. Phobos. And tromos, where we get tremor, you know, uh, like a tremor. Anyway, so now by themselves, I have to admit, by themselves, these two words can indeed mean terror and trembling fear by themselves. But it turns out it's one of these phrases that when you when you say them together and it was a common phrase in the ancient greek it has a different connotation kind of like a phrase i just used high and mighty think about that phrase we all know what high and mighty means now literally it could mean somebody who is like at a huge elevation you know on top of the roof or up in a tree and is mighty they're strong does high and mighty mean someone who is a strong person up in a tree no what does it mean Haughty. Stuck up. Right? Oh, he's so high and mighty. It doesn't mean strong up in a tree. Right? It means stuck up. This is kind of what's going on with this phrase. You put it together and it's a euphemism. This is Greek euphemism of the time. It's used in other passages in the Bible, um, even by other writers and even outside the Bible. And the meaning of the word is awe and wonder. So when when they would put this together with fear and trembling, they would even, one of the writers even said, I see the works that you are doing with fear and trembling. And it's awe and wonder, okay? So we understand. So fear and trembling becomes this phrase that really means awe and wonder, which is the biblically appropriate response for recognizing the presence of God. That is absolutely the biblically appropriate response for recognizing the sudden awareness of the presence of God. Awe and wonder. And now in his presence, you may start out with actual trembling. That may happen as it often happened in the Old Testament. We see that actually many times in the Old Testament. Why do you think of the very first thing every time an angel appears? What's the first thing they say? Fear not! not. The angel comes on the scene. Big, huge angel. Fear not, fear not, don't freak out, don't freak out. Why? Because they're freaking out, right? It's an angel, right? It is true, fear and trembling, right? So he tells them. So obviously, the sudden awareness of the presence of God, it might cause a little quaking. That's understandable. But what started as fear and trembling properly for us should morph into awe and wonder awe and wonder. That is the appropriate response to the sudden awareness of the presence of God. I might add, in 1 John, there's this beautiful scripture that reminds us that God is love, and there is no fear in love. In fact, it says, love casts out fear. Right, so this is a good reminder that the better you know God... The better you know God, the more you learn to trust him, the more you learn that he is a God, not of fear, but of love. We learn that the the more we get to know him. And so while the appropriate response to him is awe and reverence and wonder, terror is really not something he's after from you. That's a good thing for some of us to remember. Um, now, what about this other phrase Paul says? Working out your salvation. Working out your salvation. This phrase right here has caused no end of confusion to so many, so many good Christians. First, let's recognize this is completely different from working for your salvation. Working out your salvation is completely different from working for your salvation. Working for your salvation is not the way of the gospel. It's the way of religion. All right? Make that really clear. Working for your salvation is the way of religion. The gospel is the way of relationship. Okay? So so think of it this way. You have been given salvation. It's a gift. You don't got to work for it. You've been given salvation. You're a child of God. You're secure in that gift of salvation that he's given you. Now, now it's there. So work it out. Work it out. Live it out. Walk it out in its full potential, right? Work it, as you say on the dance floor, right? Use what your mama gave you, right? So that's what Paul's saying. (laughs) Work it. Use what your father gave you, right? Is that appropriate? Maybe not. (laughs) We won't say that in the second service. (laughs) So... So, so we're supposed to work it. We're working it out. We live it out. You live it to its full potential, this salvation that God has given. You know, salvation is not just about arriving safely at that shore the some sweet by and by. That's not what salvation is just about. It's also about this life right now. Salvation starts now. It starts right now. Now, the cool thing that Paul is doing here, he's also alluding to something, is that As you're working, as you're living out your salvation, you're doing this thing with the ongoing awareness that God is with you. Why else would you be in awe and wonder and fear and trembling? Because God is with you, right? So he is doing that good work in you. So you're just working it out. He's with you. This will will blow your mind. He says this. When he says, work out your salvation, get this. The your is plural. The your is plural. You're doing this together. The salvation is singular. Your is plural. The salvation is singular. Your salvation. What we've been seeing in this whole passage from, from three weeks ago, Paul is concerned with the health of the community, okay? He's really concerned with the health of the community, not just a bunch of isolated individuals, He's very community-minded. So there's more going on here than just each of you, you know, work on your own individual salvations. There's this sense of the salvation. The word is soteria. Literally, it means the preservation or deliverance. The, The salvation of the community. The yours, plural. The yours, plural. Lots of people, one salvation. And we are to work it out together in relationship. In relationship, united by our mission, we're working out this salvation of ours. So, I don't know about you, but this gets me really excited. It kind of blows my mind a little bit. Do do you start to see where maybe some of us have neglected some crucial element, or maybe made just a, a lesser priority of something that God always meant to be front and center? Something God meant to be front and center. That is our unity, our community. Do you see the high value that God places on our relationships with each other? He calls it, it's our salvation, right? It's part of our salvation. That's why when we get together, it's not just about having another potluck dinner. See, we're not just trying to fill up the calendar with stuff. That's not what we're trying to do. It's not about having another thing that we're trying to ask you to go to with church folks. That's not what we're trying to do. It's about our salvation, this together thing. Our salvation, our deliverance, our prosperity, our health and welfare. These are all meanings of this word, soteria. Our success. Our success as ambassadors of the kingdom, especially in light of that we're ambassadors of the kingdom in in a, a kingdom of darkness, while living in a kingdom of darkness, our success as ambassadors depends on this. Depends on our unity. Depends on our understanding the importance of what we're saying, of this community, of this working together, this mission. Our success depends on it. Is it starting to sink in for anybody? Anybody? Amen. A couple of you over here. All right, <laughs> y- y'all are winning. So, so to summarize, our salvation is an ongoing process that is our shared responsibility. We depend on each other. See, I I, I am partially responsible for your well-being, for your continued salvation. I I have a part to play, and you have a part to play in my life. So it's our shared responsibility, and it's inspired and empowered by God. It's our shared responsibility, inspired and empowered by God. Now, God has done the God part, okay? He saved us. He's given us mission, and now we are called to live it out in our lives as the body of Christ. Okay, let's look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, this is great. Watch this. The God who works in you, the word in here, literally translated, is among. The God who works among you. Guess what the, the, the you is. Uh, I'll give you two, cho- two chances to get it right, singular or plural. You're all right. Exactly. The you is plural. The God who is working among you to will and to act to fulfill his purpose. God is talking to our community, He's talking to Generations Church. Paul is not trying to get us to leave the service today and go home saying, Well, I better go, I better try harder on my own. I better go try harder. That's not what he's trying to do. Rather, in relationship, he wants us to be saying, God is among us, and I am in a sense of awe and wonder about that, first of all. And together, together, let's work it out what it means to be the body of Christ. Together, work out our salvation. Together, we spread the gospel. Together, we do that. We're going to do it together. We're going to get it done on the dance floor together. (laughs) Right? Right? Together. All right. Act 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may, be become, you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Okay, I get so excited about this part. This is good. Let me give you some background context because that, that's flooding Paul's mind as he writes this, because this is brilliant. It's a lot more brilliant than I ever knew. It really is amazing. Paul has loaded these two sentences. He has loaded these sentences up with so much meaning and allusions to other scriptures here. It'd be easy for us to kind of read this and be like, okay, okay, don't complain, shine like a star. Got it. Don't complain, shine like a star, right? <laughs> what he's packed in here is, is fascinating. The word grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14. When he says blameless and pure, he's referencing Genesis 17. When he says warped and crooked generation, that's from Deuteronomy 32, word for word. Even shine like stars is, is a quote from Daniel 12. When he says that I didn't labor in vain, it's a reference to Isaiah 65. For real, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, Paul, now you're just showing off, right? This is a masterpiece. We got it. You're smart. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like he had help, right? <laughs> Here's what's happening here. Now, keep in mind, Paul is super educated, really smart, you know, just hyper, just hyper Jew, former rabbi. He knows everything about the Old Testament here. So here's what's happening. He's alluding to a specific story, this whole passage. He's alluding to a specific story in this passage, and the story is it's a fundamental pivot point of Jewish history, and that is the story of the Exodus, the Exodus defines Jewish worldview. We have to understand that first of all. The Exodus defines Jewish worldview. The rescuing of the Hebrews by God from the land of Egypt, it's the rallying narrative that Israel identifies with. It's what they identify with. They come back to the story again and again in their history, right? It's where everything pivots, right there. In the Exodus, the Hebrew people were in bondage in Egypt and they are given their salvation from slavery after a series of plagues right but really what what it was because of the final plague that really made the difference and what was the final plague the death of the firstborn death of the firstborn through the death of the firstborn which in a sense becomes part of their passover celebration They have freedom from slavery. It's mind-blowing when when you just see layer upon layer of the, the revelation of Jesus when it starts to sink in. So they're freed from Egypt. That's great. But that's not the end of the story, is it? They're freed from Egypt. God takes them out into the wilderness, and he gives them what? The Torah. He gives them the Torah, which is the word of God made print. It's not made flesh yet. The word of God made print. But they don't listen, do they? They don't listen. What do they do? They complain and they grumble. And this becomes their primary problem. This becomes their primary problem no matter how many miracles God does for them. No matter how many times he delivers them and gives them victory in the battle, they grumble and argue and complain and they grumble and argue and complain over and over and grumble and argue and complain. It's this cycle that keeps coming back over. And eventually God says to that generation of the Hebrews in the desert, guess what? You ain't going in. You're not going to go into the promised land. You're not going in. Only the next generation will. And he uses this phrase, in Deuteronomy 32.5, you have become a warped and crooked generation. So zoom forward about 2,000 years. Here's Paul. He's on the scene. And he says to the church, do not grumble. Don't argue. Be God's children among a warped and crooked generation. Paul uses the backdrop of the Exodus to encourage his readers to rewrite the story of Israel. He's telling them, here is your chance for a fresh start. This is our chance. Be more like the Lord than the Israelites in the Exodus story. Be light is what he's telling them. See, church, we, we are the new Exodus We are the new exodus. We have been given freedom. Every single time someone receives Jesus and and accepts him into their heart and turns from their sin, they they are part of the new exodus. They're given freedom from bondage and hopelessness. Through the death of the firstborn, we are no longer slaves. No longer slaves, but free. We now belong to God. And we have the chance now not to argue and complain and grumble but to shine like stars in the sky. We have a chance to do it right. Will we do it right? Or will we make the same mistake? See, this is actually what God called Israel to be thousands of years before. He called them to be his light in the world. When he formed the nation, he said, I want you to reveal to the world who I am, what I am like. Show the world who God really is. But they failed. They failed. They they, they turned inward and focused on themselves, right? We have a choice to correct that mistake. They didn't represent God in the world. We can. We have the opportunity to represent God in the world. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, when he said that, he wasn't just making up a new metaphor. He's quoting the Bible, back to them. He's saying, he's talking to the Jews, you remember, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to the Jews. He's saying, hey, that was your calling, to be the light of the world. You've been hiding under a bushel. You should be the light of the world, a city set on a hill, seen by everybody. So we have the chance to be the new image bearers of God. Amen? To live out the salvation that God offers all men. We have the chance to do it right. It's Exodus 2.0, baby. We have the chance to do it right. Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again, and, so th- and then became the light of the world. And we have the opportunity to walk in his footsteps. Right? To walk. We get to be lights in the darkness. What an honor. Let's look at verse 17. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's making an interesting little allusion here, a metaphor. Paul says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, that entire phrase, I am poured out like a drink offering, it's one word in the Greek, spindomai, one word. And it means to pour out a drink offering, to pour oneself out as a drink offering or a libation. There's, that's a word. Um, in the ancient world, you'd make a sacrifice. You'd have a big pile of rocks or something like that. And you'd make a sacrifice, usually an animal and, you know, a goat or a cow or something like that. And you make the sacrifice and you kill the animal and it the blood pours and it burns, all this kind of stuff. So that's the sacrifice. But then what, what you would do sometimes, is you would make a libation, and that would be some form of liquid, water or wine or something like that, that you would pour over the, the top of it. There are scholars who could tell you a lot more. Ask Dr. Bruce. He'll tell you all about the libation and the sacrifice. He'll, he'll straighten me out. But uh, So you pour this, uh, this offering over the top, right? over the sacrifice. So he's comparing the Philippians... And their faith as this sacrifice to God, this wonderful sacrifice to God. And he is the offering poured out over it. He's poured out. Now, think about Paul. He's in chains. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked more times than he can count. Paul says, My life is like water completely poured out an offering to the Lord, poured out. Notice he doesn't say spilled, it's not wasted. It's been given to something grand and glorious. And Paul says, and I'm glad. I'm glad. I rejoice. And you should rejoice with me. I was thinking about a time when um, my oldest son, Jules, was, was younger. He was maybe four or five or so. And uh, he wasn't a very strong swimmer at the time, uh, it, but he was part of Cub Scouts. And we all went to the, the neighborhood pool. That did, all the scouts got together to go to the pool. And uh, he's in the shallow end. And, you know, he's just sort of getting his feet wet. And then he kind of gets a little deeper. And he gets down there, chest level, you know, and he's splashing around the water. Still not a strong swimmer, like I said. But, um, and, and I'm standing on the side with the other dads. We're just kind of sitting there watching our kids. And, and um, suddenly, Jules, I guess he got a little bit... A little bit deeper than was his comfort zone, and next thing you know, he starts splashing and thrashing and panicking, and he's screaming. So two things happen: I jump in the water, and the lifeguard jumps in the water <laughs> at the same time. So we're both with to Jules. Now he's not in danger. I get there and I I, I I hold him, and he's splashing, and he's panicking. You know, just you know, a little child, you just panic, and so he's and he's he's screaming, "I'm gonna I'm gonna drown! I'm gonna drown!" And and I said, "No, you're not going to drown. I've got you. I'm right here. You're not in any danger. So we don't need to tell mom about this." <laughs> um, it's all good. <laughs> um, but he was scared, right? I I knew what Jules did not know, and that was that his father was watching him the whole time. His father was right there. I knew that. He didn't know that. He didn't know that. He was scared. He was worried. And that's where we all live so often, like my boy in the water. We are terrified, alone, so we think. No hope. We'll ever reach the surface again. Really, if we put our feet down, it's right there. But but no hope. And, and then Jesus comes and says, no, 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 I'm right here. I've been here the whole time. Nothing is going to happen to you. You're perfectly safe to me. I haven't forgotten you. Nothing in your life will ever be wasted. Nothing in your life will be wasted. And Paul gets that. He says, even if I am poured out like a drink offering, oh, it makes me happy. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Right? Christos Kerados. To live is Christ to die is gain, right? Win-win. Either way, for Paul, there is no greater honor than to live and die for Jesus. Oh, to be in that place. Hallelujah. All right. Act three. We're getting we're getting there. Now here's where Paul changes gears. Okay? He he kind of takes care of some business. That needs to be dealt with. Uh, he talks about these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, we've seen at the very beginning of the story, but Epaphroditus is new to us. He also uses them as an example, I think here, because he, he he, he's dealing with them, these events that are happening, but he's, he uses them as an example. He's saying, here's a life well lived. Friends, here, here are some friends that you know. These, these two people who are rewriting the story, they are being Exodus 2.0 in the flesh. They're partnering with me. Now Epaphroditus is a man, he's probably the guy who will be carrying this letter back to Philippi. Okay, So he's going to be returning the letter back. He's, he'll be leaving Paul, going back to Philippi. Timothy, it sounds like, will be coming uh, to see the Philippians in a little while later. Maybe he'll return to Paul and bring back a letter from the Philippians. So that's kind of what's happening. In verse 19 he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. No one like him. It's a beautiful word in the Greek. It means like-minded, of the same soul, like same-souled. Nobody is as equal-souled as Timothy is to me. He genuinely. And why is he that way? Because he genuinely cares about you. He cares about you the way I care about you. Timothy cares about you the way I care about you. He's a kindred spirit. Anybody have somebody like that in your life? Isn't it a blessing to have somebody who is they, in your life it, that just gets you? Right? That person that gets you, you share a soul. It's priceless. It's priceless. I pray every one of you has at least one person. Everybody should have that one person at least. And if you're, you're really, really fortunate, you have, you have a little handful of those kind of people. I have a few people in the world that, I, you know, they, they get me. They get my weirdness. They get it all. I get them. And, and it's beautiful. And it's the privilege of having that connection of soul. And you're, you spend a lot of time going, right? Right? I know. Me too. That's so true. Right? You're saying that kind of stuff all the time? I definitely have that with my wife, and it's wonderful. Um, it's an amazing blessing to know people. And for most people, it is just, just a handful. But when you get, with, you get with them, there's that get it factor. You know what I mean? You get it. It recharges your spiritual batteries. So, Paul's saying, Timothy, Timothy's unusual. He's like, he, he really, he, he's so, he's different. Uh, and then he says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's an interesting, strange way to resolve that thought. Okay, he says, Timothy's going to come care for you. He's going to come care for you, which is unusual, because usually people just care for themselves instead of caring for Jesus. You expect him to say other people. Usually, you expect people to care about themselves, not other people, but he says Jesus. So Paul... Clearly, he equates caring for others with caring for Jesus. Isn't that cool? If you care for Jesus Christ, really, it's going to equate with caring and wanting to serve other people, isn't it? Wanting to take care of people in need. Hallelujah. Wanting to take care of people. Wanting to see a need and meet it. Wanting to serve in the nursery. Wanting to serve in kids' world. Wanting to serve in Rayford Hope or be part of the keepers of the temple or check on your neighbor that you haven't seen in a while or pray for that person at work that you just know there's something going on wrong in their life. It's going to equate in, in, in that kind of response. If you care for Jesus Christ, you will show genuine concern for the welfare of others. That's how we worship Jesus. Verse 22 he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And uh, let's see. Sorry about that. That was all that. Here we go. But I think, verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, fellow soldier, I love these words that he uses to describe him. Who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs? For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Okay, so apparently this guy's had a hard time. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. (laughs) i love paul's love of this man this this young man epaphroditus that we're just now getting to know i want to take a step back and and realize what a hero this guy is so because we don't want him just to be a footnote in history paul is obviously fond of this guy so let's let's step back a second and, and remember paul is in prison He mentions four times in the first chapter alone that he's in chains. At another time in the letter, he'll mention later that everybody has deserted me except for a few people. Remember the way prisons were back then? He's not getting fed by the Romans. He depends on the kindness of of friends to come and, and even feed him. He's at the mercy of people taking care of him. And on the scene comes Epaphroditus. Philippi. And he brings a gift from the church whom Paul has a relationship with. I want to show you this map just so we can remember that we looked at this in week one. You either go from Philippi to Rome by boat, which is As we said before, it's incredibly treacherous. You can see the jagged coastline there. Literally thousands and thousands of shipwrecks. They're still finding the old shipwrecks all over there. The seas are treacherous. The coastline's treacherous. Lots of shipwrecks. So you're taking your life in your hands to go by boat. Or you walked it, the north route, right? Which is not a safe journey either because there's highway robbers, but really, really bad. And so these guys risked their lives to bring him money, to bring him food. Now, Paul... Let's, let's think about this, too. Paul's an enemy of the state, pretty much. He has offended the global military superpower of the day. He's, he got on their bad side. He's feeling their wrath, okay? He doesn't know how long he's going to be in prison. He doesn't know if, if anybody's coming to his aid. There's no constitution protecting his rights, right? There's no lawyers from the ACLU making sure he's getting taken care of. He's completely on his own. He doesn't know if he's going to be there for days or months or if they're just going to decide to execute him one day. Now, the Caesars that ruled the empire, they believed that they were literally the sons of God in the earth. This is what the Caesars believed. So the world is ruled by this one global military superpower... Which is ruled by a Caesar. It was Julius Caesar, then Octavius, and Tiberius, then Caligula. He was a real treat. And then uh, Claudius. A long line. A long line of these power-hungry psychopaths are in charge of the one superpower. And they believe, these Caesars believe that they are sent by God to earth to bring about a universal reign of peace and order. But that reign comes through brutal military might. Okay? Okay? Their idea of peace, one of their propaganda slogans was peace through victory, peace through victory, meaning what they did was come into your region, declare Caesar as the son of God, and you'll become part of the Roman Empire now. If you don't agree, they'll crucify you, uh, just to make sure everybody sees what happens. If you don't agree, because that's what we do, that's just the way it's done. And so peace really came after the killing everybody part. Right? Then it was like, oh, yeah, great, peace, after you've killed everybody who disagreed. The central propaganda slogan of the time was Caesar is Lord. Sound familiar? It's no accident that that's the phrase the first Christians used. Caesar is Lord. That's what everybody hailed each other with. Caesar is Lord. Paul is going from city to city in the Roman Empire, region to region throughout the empire, saying, hey, Jesus is Lord. Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The Caesars, strangely, don't go for this. Um, Because the Jesus movement is essentially saying, no, Caesar isn't the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Peace and victory for, for mankind is not achieved by putting other people on crosses. This God climbs up on the cross himself to rescue mankind. This bothers Caesars, right? The gods haven't sent Caesar, is what the Christians are saying. The gods haven't sent Caesar. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. There is a true son of God, and his way is the way of love and forgiveness and grace and generosity, and his name is Jesus, and we will bow to no other. That is what these first Christians are saying. Well, this gets Paul thrown in prison, as we could imagine. Okay, now think about this. If you go visit Paul in prison, what are they going to think about you? They're watching. Who's coming to visit Paul? Do you really want to be associated with somebody who is headed to the chopping block? You know, there's a reason Peter rejected Uh, denied Jesus during the crucifixion. There's a reason. There's a good reason. It was terrible, but it was a good reason he was afraid of getting thrown up on his own cross. Right? And it's at this moment, here's Paul, hungry, chained, and imprisoned. Who brings him food with everybody watching so he can eat and money for writing equipment? The people of the church of Philippi. They come. Alone, here he is alone, hungry, wondering, does anybody even know that I'm here? And they risk their lives to come and take care of him. Epaphroditus apparently was the one who said, I'll make the treacherous journey. I'll go. I'll go visit our friend, the enemy of the state. So Paul's pretty, pretty fond of this guy. And, and apparently he almost dies in the process, right? The, the, the trip, he gets so sick, he almost dies. And verse 29 so then, Paul's, Paul's talking about Epaphroditus, he's writing to the church, and he so then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Paul says, honor people like Epaphroditus. Honor those people among us, the gentle people, the supportive people, the caring, hardworking people. Those should be among the heroes that we look up to, the ones that we honor. Amen? Amen. Amen. In a few minutes, being our, our first Sunday of the month, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, communion, so the guys are getting ready for that. But I want to close with something that Paul once said in another letter. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now you, two guesses if that's plural or not. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We, all of us, are the body of Christ. So be the body. Embrace that. Embrace it. Don't just come to church. Become the church. Become the church. I was thinking, you know, the greatest testimony that you offer the world it may not be that you were like a murdering, thieving drug dealer that was involved in human trafficking and ate trans fats and things like, you know, horrible things. That may not be your testimony. And that's OK, because your greatest testimony may not be your personal, isolated story. What if your greatest testimony? What if the miracle of it was the, the miracle of the gospel in your life? It may be that you were part of a community of believers. A bunch of people you surrounded yourself with that you normally wouldn't have anything in common with other than Jesus, but Jesus was all you needed. That might be your greatest testimony. The people that you surround yourself with, right? The best evidence, I believe, for the power of God might be these brothers and sisters all around you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we come from completely different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds. We celebrate that diversity though because Jesus is such a unifying force that we celebrate it. We, we, and we genuinely love one another. And together, if, together we're able to accomplish something as, as the body of Christ, not as individual a bunch of mercenaries for Christ. We can accomplish something as the body of Christ. And I encourage you this, one last thing. Find your place and jump in with both feet. Find your place. Don't hold back. I'm telling you, your life will never be richer than when you connect with purpose and mission. And no, I'm not just talking about your like, spiritual life. I'm not just talking about your spiritual life. I, when you are walking more and more in what you were created to do, what God put you on this earth to do, when you're being an image bearer of Jesus, and you're being a servant to other people, That relentless joy leaks into every area of your life. And then you will shine like stars in the darkness. Amen. 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 The ushers are coming down at this time. They're going to pass out the communion elements. What we do is we ask you just to hold on to them for just a few minutes until everyone is served, and then we'll all take it together. Communion is a a wonderful time. Communion is this wonderful opportunity for us to demonstrate exactly what we've been talking about. This little piece of of liturgy that we do here. We're, We're stepping forward in koinonia. We're stepping forward in relationship and mission. In this case, it's in obedience to Jesus. He said that when we come forward, when we come together in fellowship for us to take time to remember and to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a time for us to give thanks for the forgiveness of our sins and for the healing of our bodies and and to give thanks for that new life and that relationship that we have in Jesus. And let me just say this. The Bible says that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and made him your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take part in this communion with us. Absolutely. And if you haven't ever done that before, this is a great opportunity to do it right now while the, while the team is singing. Just pray to him, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again for me, and I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And when you pray that prayer, I promise you, you're taking the first step of one of the most joyful journeys you'll ever go on. So I invite you, I invite all of us uh, while the team is singing, let's just reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Amen. At
1: the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life, I Washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Here my hope. Here my hope is found.
0: so much for giving us your son jesus christ who conquered death hell and the grave praise you lord thank you father god for saving us from our sins through your grace we have been set free father god through christ's sacrifice through the shedding of his blood we thank you father that we have hope we have eternal life we thank you father for reset buttons father god for second chances and rebirths in jesus name we pray hallelujah let's take the bread together Thank you, Father, for the. Thank you, Jesus, for the breaking of your your body. Let's take the juice. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for the shedding of your blood. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. As our prayer partners are coming forward this morning, I encourage you, if you have anything in the world that you need somebody to stand and pray with you about, come to the front. Let these prayer warriors pray with you for anything that you have need. Hallelujah. And let me bless you. Today, all my best friends, may we, all of us, continue to not just come to church, but to become the church. And may we be the generations that shine like stars in the darkness. Amen? Grace and peace be with you.